Welcome to the Oil and Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast with Sarah Stogner, where each weekly episode touches on legal and risk management issues impacting the energy sector. Visit our website at www.oilandgaslegalrisk.com for more information on today's episode, past episodes, and upcoming OGGN events. Today's episode is sponsored by ThoughtTrace, developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. Hey, good afternoon. This is Sarah Stogner with the Oil & Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast. Today, I have joining me Sean Hogue from LOC. And Sean, you said you're actually in Galliano today about to head offshore. So thanks for making some time to join us. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Sarah. Thanks for thanks for having me on. So just if you want to introduce yourself and what you guys do before we get started. Yeah, certainly. So I, I currently am the, the head of, I'm the Marine Assurance Lead at LOC based out of Houston. And we cover we cover the Gulf Coast and down into Central Central America for vessel inspections, annual surveys, things of that nature. So previous to that, I was captain on board a pipe lake construction vessel and uh, actually got my start down here in the Gulf and then proceeded to work uh, all over the world, as many sailors do. So yeah. yeah, I came ashore in 2014, joined LOC, and I've been I've been spending my time in between uh, doing vessel inspections and a little bit of legal work. Oh, boy. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me. So, you know, when, I think when we originally talked, I'm always looking for technology or information or just kind of stuff that's out there that has an impact or can help people with risk management issues or legal issues in the oil and gas sector, right? And so one of the things that we had started talking about was you guys have been doing some really interesting replay analysis modeling. And I think you sent me some stuff to look at. And and from what I, I read, it looks to me like you guys can basically go in and after an incident, help using various tools, right? Essentially create a, a model or a recreation of the elision as it happened. Is that a fair kind of summary of what, what the technology does? It is. It's a, it's a great starting point, certainly. How we've been using it since it was developed, um, so it's, it's the, the LOC replay analysis service, I suppose. And we, we developed uh, a piece of software, which is, it's an XML coder, which will take data that we obtain following an incident from, from the vessel's VDR, from, from AIS, and converts it into a format that can be input into Google Earth. So what we, what we will do is, is take uh, or is develop 3D models of the vessels that were involved in this incident, take the positioning data, put all that together in the program, and then we, we load that into Google Earth and basically create a playback of the incident that then you can watch in real time from different angles. And it really gives you 
gives a unique perspective that's been quite successful when using it during some of this expert witnessing work. Yeah, absolutely. And so for those of us who are not tech people or uh, whatever, what does AIS and VDR stand for? Oh, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. AIS is the automatic identification system that's used on board. And VDR is also records vessel data. You can think of it like a black box. So your AIS is, is constantly sending the vessel's position and, and some other information, heading, course, things of this nature, that depending on, on how fast the vessel's moving, it'll send it more frequently, or if it's sitting at anchor, it sends it less frequently. And so this is, this is being broadcast by you know, all large vessels at all times. And so there's companies that will record this data. So in the event that there is a, say, a legal case that comes up, and but the event happened a couple of years ago, we can typically go back and, and purchase this from various providers, purchase the data for around the time of the incident. And then what the VDR does is it records feeds from the radars on board the vessel's bridge, audio from the bridge. So we can, we can take all of this information. We can put the positioning data in place so that you can see the, the direction that the vessel's moving kind of in, in real time, as it were. And then we can overlay the, the radio calls on top of that. And then taking that a step further, we can take, a, take say, a screenshot of, of the, the radar image at the time. Or, or other data, and we can lay that over the top as well. So it really gives you a kind of a multifaceted view of what was going on at the time of the incident. Right, right. Yeah. So is this mandated? Is this a Coast Guard regulation? So in other words, does this, does a vessel, if it meets certain specifications, have to have this, this capability to be recording? Yeah, absolutely. It does. Okay. Okay. And so from my perspective, I think it could be helpful for two different major scenarios. One is if there's an incident and you have a regular litigation for bodily injury or property damage or something like that, right? So someone claims this is what happened. And then you look at the data and you can prove that, well, that's not actually what happened because here's what the data shows, right? But the other is for insurance coverage and where I've seen issues, and I'm sure you guys see this as well, if you're doing just regular vessel inspections after some sort of, of incident, is a oftentimes there's a there's a coverage defense for well although your property was damaged we're not going to cover this because you guys didn't do what you were supposed to do leading up to the incident right and so this lets you take that information that may not otherwise be easily accessible and paint the picture and tell the story so that it's the layperson can look at it and understand what was going on is that a fair summary? That's a great summary. And that's, it, it's really the strength of it is, is it paints a visual story of, of whatever the situation was. So you had mentioned personal injury. We haven't really used it in that, that capacity as of yet, but typically in collision cases or elision cases, groundings, things of this nature. As an example, we had one case where there was a, there was a barge that was attached or uh, sorry, a tugboat attached to a, a dredge barge that was dredging in the channel. And it appeared that it was outside of the, 
the navigation channel as bounded by the by the buoys. Right. But when you, when you took the Army Corps of Engineer data showing the contour of the bottom, you could see that it was actually blocking it was blocking the actual channel, and ended up forcing vessels into into a grounding situation. So by by layering these different pieces of information on top, you can really get a clear picture of what it looks like. Wow. Yeah, that's really neat. So you mentioned that you were a captain for years. Did you start out in the military or were you always a civilian? No, I, I'm, uh, I'm a merchant mariner. I, I'm, I'm a Canadian. So I went to school in St. John's, Newfoundland, and I just got my start uh, early on in the offshore oil field. My, my first job was with oceaneering, and I, I always had a focus on dynamic positioning technology. So I ended up as a DPO, worked my way up through captain, but it was always always in the offshore oil field is really my specialty. I gotcha. So can you give us maybe some lessons learned or what's one of the, without mentioning names, right, making sure that everyone stays confidential, kind of some of the things that you see in the industry that we, we can be doing better. Is there something that comes to mind? In the offshore industry, do you mean? Yeah. Or in the... yeah. Just from your life experience. Or is there something that you were exposed to that you thought, man, I wish we could change this, or this is something, maybe it's a regulation that, you know, is outdated or hasn't been changed or where I see stuff all the time, you know, in the onshore context where I think if we don't get ahead of this, the government is going to regulate it for us kind of thing. And right offshore, there's a lot more government intervention. So no, absolutely. And it's, as we all know, the, the marine industry is very slow to change. Uh, the, the, the regulations certainly don't keep pace with, uh, you know, technology, technological advances right, and, right. and all of this. So, but as a whole, I, I really feel that the industry is doing a great job in improving safety standards. We've been involved, I've personally been involved in writing various regulations or I guess industry guidance papers for things like reactivation of, of vessel assets following following the downturn that we had. This has been a pretty big deal lately. Right. So vessels that maybe had just sat and not done anything, getting them back yeah, exactly. to service, is that what you mean? Exactly. And doing that in a safe and effective manner. And, and I think uh, industries really embrace that as a whole. So we're now that we're seeing a, a bit of an upturn again, we're, we're seeing more boats come out and, and uh, people are taking that reactivation seriously. So I think we've had some pretty good traction there. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but I know that I grew up on the water and recreational fishing. My dad got his Coast Guard captain's license after he retired so that he could captain a dive boat in Hawaii. So I grew up on boats and we're actually in the process of buying a little lake house and I'm about to inherit a really crappy old inboard outboard. And I was sending in pictures and trying to say, okay, is it worth me even trying to take this to the shop to try to find someone? Because I don't think it's ever been in saltwater, right? So hopefully it won't have all that corrosion issues. Is there somebody that it's worth trying to get them to, to fix this up? Or should I just head straight to the scrapyard and say, just please take this off of my hands so that it's not uh, growing weeds up around it in the yard? But if we're not using boats, right, they, they go bad. Things fail they're already money pits, but if you're not maintaining them properly, it's certainly a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. And you know what they say, a, a boat is a hole in the water 
in which you shovel money into. Yeah, <laughs> I know. My husband reminds me that, are you sure you want to do this? It's like, well, yes, my soul needs the water. So I, I understand the, it's funny just from a personal level, kind of that, the thought of really large vessels sitting. And then, you know, when I was in New Orleans, most of the time, we had a client that had a, a boat, a vessel that they bought that essentially they bought it for a floating barge. They were going to use it to service some of their other boats in the channels. So they move it, they get it over to their shop, and then they come back the next day and it is halfway underwater and it's tied off to a tug and it has dragged the the bow of the tug, I don't know, a couple of feet underwater. And so we go in and inspectors from the various insurance companies and we're all out on the site and everyone says, well, it wasn't seaworthy when they bought it. And there was an issue of, well, how are they going to cover it? And we said, well, it was floating. It didn't, it wasn't mobile. It didn't have any mechanism, a motor or anything in it. Right. But it had been floating in the same place for years and years. And then once it got moved, I don't know if it, some rust broke loose or whatever, but when we went into it, they were holding it up, mechanically holding it up from the ground when we went on. But I mean, there was huge holes in the hull that you could stick your fist through kind of thing that obviously this wasn't watertight and wasn't going to hold, but it had managed to stay floating for years and years. Nothing changed other than the fact that it was moved. Right. So that was actually a really interesting case from a, a liability perspective of the seller, knowing that there were issues from the, the buyer thinking they were getting one thing. And then both insurance companies kind of pointing their fingers at each other and saying, it's not us but lesson learned on making sure you know what you're buying and you're doing the inspections ahead of time to really understand not only the asset you think you're buying, but the potential liability that you might actually be buying. It it sounds like you shook something loose when you moved it. Yeah. Right. Thankfully I didn't move it, but yeah, somebody shook something, right? (laughs) Part of what uh, a major part of LOC's business is a Marine warranty survey Okay. So we will we will hold a marine warranty contract for a large project, which is, in a nutshell, is us representing the insurance company and inspecting all of the vessels that are going to be involved in the project and signing off on on various kind of milestones in the operation. So we do a lot of vessel inspections, and I find that it really ties well back into the legal work because. The marine warranty side of things is is really looking at at the mitigation of risk for a project, and then when something goes wrong and 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 the lawyers get involved, you're kind of looking at it from the other side. So it's uh, it it's a good I guess cross skill or kind of counterbalance to each other. Right, right. So what's involved, or do you have any tips, or do you guys get involved in after there's been an elision, right? So it's, of course, something always, bad stuff always happens at three o'clock in the morning or whatever, right? It's never, it's never three o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. It's always Saturday morning at 3 a.m. Do you guys get involved from the very beginning as far as incident response? Yeah, absolutely. We do. We've got, okay. uh, we have a number of, of different specialized personnel or, or people with, with various specialties. There's a guy who specializes in in dock damage, you know, shoreside damage. We have uh, special casualty responders, which are approved for salvage operations. 
and we get uh, we'll get that call at three in the morning and and send somebody out immediately to to represent represent the client. Right, and then kind of help. You know, one of my suggestions is always immediately to call a lawyer, not just because I like going out there at 3 a.m. I don't, but to make sure that you're protecting your communications and reports and things like that and having someone that's knowledgeable in admissions dealing with the the first responders when the Coast Guard comes out and you know whoever else is, is coming and getting involved. And so it's critical to get not only an attorney out there to make sure that everything's privileged and that people aren't saying things that they shouldn't be saying and taking pictures that they shouldn't be taking and sharing stuff, but to also get somebody out there that knows what they're doing to help make sure that you mitigate your risk at that point. Right. So I kind of think of the, I watch way too much Grey's Anatomy over the years. And I know that at least according to TV, because everything that happens on TV is is accurate. Right. But no, that if you get impaled with something, for example, that you don't go ripping the impaling object out of your body, you leave it in there until you get to the hospital and then they can surgically remove it. Are there similar considerations for a ship? So if a ship grounds, do you then leave the ship there and and not try to back it out for fear that you've created a huge gouge in your hull? Or and is that made I assume that those decisions are you report that and some of those decisions are made with the Coast Guard's assistance. But just kind of in practical terms, since I haven't been involved in an immediate marine situation like that, how does that work? Well, it's obviously it's situation dependent, but I, I, that was that was a great analogy about Grey's Anatomy. It, as a rule of thumb, you, you certainly don't want to back the vessel out, or if it was two ships had collided, and if it's possible, you you want to keep them together to avoid the in inrush of water that's right. going to go to the punctured hull of the other vessel. So. But it, it does really it does really depend on the situation, and these are some of the things that we'll advise in when we get on site. Certainly, so maybe you're there before the Coast Guard, you're there with the captain. It really does depend, but those those decisions need to be made fairly quickly, and I think you have to have the right the right experience and the right personnel on site to really help uh, help mitigate the the damage or the loss. Right. And even if you have, I mean, the most experienced crew, the most experienced captain, it's always good to have someone, I think, that's essentially disinterested to help be a a voice of calm and uh, help just kind of keep a neutral head. Because when it's your ship, your crew, you're emotionally invested and it's stressful. And just like I tell lawyers, you should never represent yourself in court. Doctors don't operate on themselves, right? Similar, you make the best decisions when you've got other people that are smart and educated and know what they're doing. Same kind of thing in a well control event, right? If you've got a blowout, you're going to call in a third party, wild well control, boots and coots, somebody like that, that is a professional and it responds to well control events all the time. Even if you've handled them before and even if you're very well trained, It's just not what you're doing all the time and handling all the time. And so it's always a good idea to get someone that has that expertise to come in and help you to make the best decisions. And then it also kind of helps build your, again, your story for if and when this goes to litigation, we did everything that was reasonable to try to eliminate as much of the risk and damage as possible. Absolutely. And 
our independence is one of LOC's greatest strengths. We're the we're the world's largest independent marine consulting and design firm currently. So it's uh, that's exactly why we're on site. We're we're not beholden to one side or the other. And and the other the other piece to that is the insurance companies also need to have representatives on site, and that's where we also we also fill that role. Right. Right. So, and I always think that it gives credibility for any type of expert if you don't always represent one side or you're not always hired by one side, right? So if sometimes you've got vessel owners that are hiring you and sometimes you've got insurers that are hiring you, then it really helps your credibility of, forgive the term, but we call them prostitutes in the law. Uh, There's lots of prostitute experts out there. You know, if you pay them They'll say whatever you want them to say, but the good guys don't just say whatever you want them to say. They say what they actually believe. And the ones that are doing that are hired by both sides because it doesn't matter which side you're on. They only fight for a position if they think it's right. And if their expert opinion is X, then it's going to be X whether or not uh, John Doe hires them or insurance company hires them. So I think that that's uh, definitely attractive. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think that we we like to feel that they're hiring the, the the experience of the person because he's the right person for the job, not necessarily that he's that somebody's looking for something specific to be said about it, or that they're right. trying to swing it one way or the other. It's it's just a it's an impartial, independent analysis of the situation. Right, right, yeah, which is which is really critical. When I started at LOC, I got some great advice, and they said the only thing you have in this business is your integrity, and so we've always I've always tried to keep that to heart. Yeah, absolutely. Oil and gas, as as large as it seems, is really a small industry, and your reputation definitely precedes you here for sure. Yeah, most definitely, and it's uh, even smaller here on the Gulf Coast. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, what's your? I should say, what's maybe the scariest moment that you remember when you were captaining? Hmm. Well, yeah, that's a good question. Or one of the most memorable. And for what reason? Well, the the sea story that my wife likes to tell the most is when uh, I was offshore for Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, it got rough. We lost all comms. I can imagine that's a little disconcerting for a wife. <laughs> well, and, and so we ended up going further out to sea and, and headed west more towards Brownsville. And by the time the worst of it had, had kind of passed us was when, you know, she was making landfall and everything was was pretty scary on the news. Meanwhile, where I was, it was it was blue skies and <laughs> we were we were we were just out floating around doing some barbecue and everything, just kind of waiting for it to settle back settle down so we could head back east towards towards the job site. But there was there was a period of seven days when she was totally out of touch. So I think that's uh that's probably her most memorable moment. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. And so logistically how does that work? Who makes the decision of okay guys We've got a storm coming. You know, this is our this is our plan to avoid it. On board ship, you're always, you know, staying on top of staying on top of the weather, of course. And then when when there's a name storm, you start to track that, and you just have you have to watch it. You step up the weather reports that you're receiving on board. Maybe you get them from a couple of different sources, or you get them more frequently. You stay in contact with with the office and whatever project team you have on board. Ultimately, the final decision for the safety of all personnel on board lies with the captain. So if he feels that it's doesn't like the way it's progressing or it's unsafe, then 
he can certainly certainly make that call. But typically, you have a lot of you have a lot of eyes on on the operation, and you know it's a joint decision will be made in plenty of time to ensure the safety of all personnel. Yeah. Well, thankfully you are okay. <laughs> yeah. We, we've had some other hairy moments besides, but it's all, it's all part of going to see, I guess it's part of the adventure of it. And then, okay. One more question. What's the weirdest sea creature you've ever seen? I had a client that has done some really deep diving and he talked about some of the really weird things that he'd see, you know, down below where there's no sunlight and, and you're seeing four-eyed, creepy-crawly stuff. Have you seen any sort of really weird sea life wash up or anything? I, I spent a lot of time doing, uh, doing dive support, working on dive support vessels. Yeah. So I definitely saw a lot of those, those deep-sea creatures. But the one that really got me was, was off the coast of Indonesia. And we're, we're sailing. It's, it's totally flat, calm. And then all of a sudden, we were surrounded by sea snakes. Ew. And there was there was just snakes everywhere in the middle of the ocean. And I don't do well with snakes. <laughs> so so that, that was the one that really stuck with me. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you think you go to sea to get away from the snakes, and then there they are following right, you around. Right, right. Well, Sean, I really appreciate you joining me today. If people want to learn more about what you guys are doing or, or get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can you can search for me there, Sean Hogue. My email address is s.hogue at loc-group.com. You can go to the, to, to the group website, loc-group, and take a look at us there or, or link up with me on there as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Today's podcast is sponsored by ThoughtTrace, developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. ThoughtTrace, let the software do the reading. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure that you go to the website. It's www.info.thoughttrace.com slash podcast drawing to sign up for that weekly drawing for that awesome power bank so that you're not the schmuck in the airport looking for a plug. And I've been bad about this. Sometimes I ask people and sometimes I don't. But if I call it the thought trace thought of the day. If you had a crystal ball, what would you say would be the biggest game changer in the energy sector over the next 10 years? So from your perspective, is there some sort of technology or something out there that you think is really going to change the way that vessels are operating or, or people are doing business offshore? In the offshore industry, I think uh, the hybrid power systems are going to be a huge game changer. We're seeing a lot of that already. Are these to combat the sulfur reduction requirements? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's for a number of things, but you know, running cleaner is certainly one of them. Okay. Basically, you're putting you're putting battery banks in support of or in place of of engines. Right. So yeah, so you're getting you know cheaper running costs and and fuel savings. You know, you're running a lot cleaner. The other thing I think for the industry as a whole is vessel automation, automated yeah. vessels. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, right for everything: cars, helicopters, airplanes, boats. Yeah. No, I, I think especially for like the, the cargo industry or the general cargo industry, the, the automated vessels are going to be huge because I think it's going to allow 
uh, like the manufacturers of goods to to now start to transport their own things rather than going to a third party company will be one one kind of disruption, I suppose. Yeah. And you know the reduction of crew and kind of the the change of of the skill set of the personnel that are that are working in the marine space. I think we're gonna we're gonna see some big changes there. Wow. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, thanks so much for joining me, and have a safe trip bright and early tomorrow morning when y'all go offshore. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. If you guys could do me a favor and like, leave a review for this podcast, that's the best way for us to get exposure and let other people discover how much fun we can have reviewing insurance and risk management issues. Hey, it's Julie here, and I have a few OGGN announcements before we're heading into the events on deck. Street team, we are still taking volunteers for our street team. We're only asking for an hour of your time per week in exchange for perks such as free entry to our happy hours, shirts, networking with other young professionals in our group. The group is within Facebook, but you do not have to have a Facebook to join. Just send me an email. The link will be in the show notes and I can get you started. Our happy hours. We are actually moving to quarterly happy hours rather than monthly. So our next Houston happy hour, as well as Midland, will be in August or September. Be on the lookout for that date. You'll get an invite if you're on the list. If not, you can sign up on the list below. And then we are launching another happy hour in Denver in August. So if you're interested in that one, the link is in the show notes as well to be notified. We don't have a date or details for that yet, but they're coming up. Okay. Now on to the events on deck. We have Golf for Good on June 11th, 2019 in Houston, Texas. All proceeds go to help Redeemed Ministries with our long-term recovery program and safe house to help victims of human trafficking become survivors. So mark your calendars and be ready to golf for good with Redeemed and our organizers Global SEM Energy and Red M. For more information on how to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. Data-Driven Drilling and Production Conference is June 11th through 12th in Houston, Texas. This is where Silicon Valley meets oil and gas. Register at the link in our show notes below. The Energy and Data Conference is June 17th through 19th in Austin, Texas. This forward-looking conference will include the latest in digital transformation trends as they relate to the energy sectors with topics such as machine learning and data management storage, oil and gas development and drilling production, and more. Link down below. Energy Exposition is June 26th through 27th in Gillette, Wyoming. The Energy Exposition is for those who would like to know more about procedures, technology, safety, environmental practices, and equipment used in the oil and gas industry. And again, the link is in our show notes. Argentina Oil and Gas and Energy Summit 2019 is on July 10th and 11th in Buenos Aires. This summit's actually the first and only official event for the Argentinian oil and gas and energy industries. It will present a unique platform for networking that will bring together existing and future operators in the oil and gas industry in Argentina and Latin America. Next up is the 
2019 IPANM annual meeting that Mark, Jake, and Paige will actually be speaking at. This will be July 24th through 26th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this year's theme is Addressing Operator Needs in 2019. And next up is Desk and Derek Fort Worth second annual shoot for the future clay shoot. This clay shoot will be on July 26th in Decatur, Texas. And then last but not least, Summer Nape. This is going to be August 21st and 22nd to where the deals happen. Mm-hmm.